Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. <clears throat> oh god, I'm not watching this game again. Yes, I know. It's terrible. Terrible. I'm telling you, it was a solid seven. Guys! Guys! What? What is it? Why are you out of breath? Guys! Guys! You know what the score to the Nick game is? <laughs> what a bozo. Guys! Guys! We have got ourselves a sponsor! <laughs> God. That's right, folks. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at Far West Press and Maverick indie filmmaker Kansas Bowling. We go way back with Miss Bowling, don't we, guys? Yes, sir. As the time of this recording, about one week. First up, for those who hate writing letters, there's pre-written letters for your convenience, pre-written by Kansas alongside her sister and frequent co-conspirator Parker Love Bowling. A series of increasingly specific and absurd letters that are meant to be cut out and sent to the people in your life. If you're like me, and I know I am, this book will tickle your funny bone and caress your aching knees. Next up is the companion book to Miss Bowling's upcoming film Cuddly Toys, the aptly named A Cuddly Toys Companion. All kidding aside, I was shown a screen of this film, and it is nothing short of a masterpiece. Oh, don't worry, folks. You're gonna hear a you're gonna hear a lot more about this film from me in the coming months. I was genuinely floored by it. This book follows the harrowing and often hilarious adventures Kansas and crew went on in making this soon-to-be classic. If you love film, filmmaking, and crazy behind-the-scenes stories, this book delivers all that in spades. And fret not, you needn't be familiar with Mrs. Bowling's Ovier. How do you say over? Am I saying over right? Over? Yeah. You don't need to be familiar with Miss Bowling's over <laughs> to enjoy this pair of books. You must simply be of unusually high intelligence and distractingly attractive, which is how I see our audience in my mind's eye. But now is your chance to prove it with action by heading on over to farwestpress.com and picking up pre-written <laughs> rubber baby buggy bumpers. And picking up pre-written letters for your convenience and a cuddly toys companion. While you're out, check out kansas-bowling.com to see what goings-on she's up to lately. You'll be supporting our shows by supporting our new sponsors, Kansas Bowling and farwestpress.com. Thank you for listening, folks. I love you. I think I got it. All right, Judd. You got it? Yeah? Is it done? Yeah. Yeah, it's at the last, like, 20 seconds. Justin... Justin is like, said knocking on death's door. Chris, Justin is the kid who's like, I'll just do my homework in the morning. All grown up, he's watching the episode <laughs> as we record. He's a he's a little sick in his mommy's baby. I've he's had sick. Some pretty big setbacks the past few days. <laughs> <laughs> well, anywho, welcome everybody to zoning out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, John Sachs, Frank Bonacci, and Judd. Judd second boy. Ed Judd. You sound like Billy West's impression of Lucille Ball at the end. <laughs> oh, Howard. <laughs> Why do you bother me? We are here today. Sorry. To discuss season one, episode 11, and when the sky was opened with an air date of December 11th, 1959. Three astronauts return to Earth after seemingly having made an encounter that dooms them and their craft to erasure from existence itself. Gentlemen, what do we think? I think Clegg Forbes is the greatest 
man name ever. Lieutenant Colonel Clegg Forbes. There's a lot of good army names. Major Gort. Ed Harrington's pretty classic. Colonel Ed Harrington. So it starts with Clegg and and you know my I you know my favorite I knew I'm gonna like this episode because it starts my favorite way with an agitated sweaty fifties man. <laughs> That's all I could think about when this episode started. I said, "Oh, Frank's gonna like this one." Oh, so the guy's so agitated right from the start, <laughs> and the sweat was abundant through the whole oh, episode. He maintained oh, yeah. the, the level of sweat. He's glistening that whole episode, Rod Taylor. He so this agitated man runs into a, a hospital room. What do you call those? <laughs> yeah, go with that. A hospital room, I think. <laughs> yeah, hospital room. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what else you would call it. I don't know what else they're called. Uh, is it? No. If they, they have they another call? name, fuck if I know. <laughs> so he goes to see his friend Major Guard, who's just sick of getting thermometers in his pussy. <laughs> his pussy? How you feeling? Are you serious? You know, one more thermometer in my puss, I'm going to absent myself without leave from this establishment. <laughs> That's what he says. He says my bus. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, Clegg, they keep shoving thermometers in me. I told him I ain't got one of those. <laughs> but do they listen? Hell no. Nah. Oh, my God. <laughs> John completely collapsed. <laughs> I actually wrote that as a note. Major Guard keeps getting thermometers in his pussy. Like, as I'm watching, I'm writing the notes. And that was, like, my second note. That was a typo. Oh, I'm not sure it is. Uh, uh, good night, folks. You know, one more thermometer in my pussy. He comes in screaming. <laughs> About a you gotta, uh, hit, you gotta hit me right off the bat with that. <laughs> oh my uh, god, they're probing me everywhere. I tell you, <laughs> I got holes I ain't even know about, Clegg. Oh, oh. god, it's so funny. So he goes, <laughs> he goes in and sweats at the. Oh, first he offers his friend cigarettes and hit, who greedily accepts them. Oh, you got another one of those. Oh yeah. And he starts talking about it. it's like so he shows in the paper it's like hey two astronauts have landed back to earth after 31 hours in space and they were out of commu satellite communication for 24 of those hours uh, we don't know what happened in those 24 hours and Clegg is yelling about his friend a third astronaut that they had with them that Gart has no recollection of is this like he was right there he's our boy <laughs> who's Gary. this who's this who's Gary, Gary person yeah who's this Lee Harrington person <laughs> look again it's no. Gary no. it's our boy Gary he's our 16 year old boy I don't know what the hell you're talking about Lucy and I want you to shut up he's our boy Harrington weird science nobody yeah <laughs> <laughs> Clegg then recounts the night before of him on the, out on the Harrington. town with Harrington, where they both try to double-team this blonde sitting at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> they say, one girl. Jackpot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they both look at her, and it's like, yeah, hey, we got one. We got a live one. The bartender then proceeds to pour them both 
the worst fucking beer, pour of beer I've ever seen, period. All head. All foam. All head. Yeah, it was like, amateur. It didn't even try. It was aggravating to watch. Hey, you're Forbes and Harrington, ain't you? Ain't you the guys that was up in space? Yeah, but we can still buy a couple of beers for 30 cents Earth money. Huh? Oh, you bet you like, but your money's no good here. The drinks are in the house. I don't get to serve many celebrities. Now drink up, boys. Ah, thanks. I don't even care that you cracked up the ship. And I'm a taxpayer. <laughs> Say, uh, what's it like up there in outer space? <clears throat> it's it's like, uh, like, way out. Uh. <laughs> Harrington starts complaining that he feels he shouldn't be there. Now Harrington starts becoming sweaty and agitated, so now you know the episode's getting good. Oh, I'm not sick. I've got a very funny feeling. Whew, I never felt anything like this before. What kind of feeling? It's like I didn't belong here. Like if I was to let myself go, I'd... You'd, you'd what? Like I'd disappear. Wow. <laughs> Here's where we take off. Now we're in business. That he feels that there's a force uh, trying to let him know that he does not belong back on Earth. He then calls his parents, and they're like, who's this Gary person? Ew! Hi. Ew, that was Gary! Who is this Gary character? <laughs> and they have no idea who he is. Clegg's like, what's the matter with you, boy, man? Harrington uh, responds to this by disappearing. <laughs> essentially and Clegg doesn't take this very well and starts freaking the hell out run where's he run home well first he runs to the bartender and it's like where's my buddy's beer and that's yeah. gone the woman had no memory of them in the newspaper that he was looking at when they first arrived which had all three of them on the front page is now down to two of them this whole episode Clegg to me until the end I thought it was Robert Stack <laughs> I said that's oh the guy funny. from Unsolved Mysteries is here Update, we still have no fucking clue where this guy is. <laughs> and that's all I thought about. <laughs> is that fucking soundbite from, what is it, basketball? Yes, it is. <laughs> that's funny, because now, for this episode probably the most, I do this thing where, like, I'll stare at the actors and I'll, and I'll think, I don't want to look it up. And I try to picture, like, well, what do they look like in 30 years? Do I know this person? Yeah. I, I'm sure I've seen them. And I was doing it with all three of these guys. Even that guy, I was like, he looks kind of familiar. So what is he? What who is he in thirty years? But I couldn't I couldn't think of anything. I thought it was Robert Stack. I said he looks about the same age though as Robert Stack did in Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> well, maybe well, he no, just, it's uh, you know, the age as well. Well, he's the star of one of my favorite movies, another great George Powell film. If you listen to the show, you hear me talk about George Powell a lot, and that's the Time Machine. He's the he's in the Birds and the and uh, wait, he's in Glorious Bastards. Is wow. He? Yeah, I didn't know you. Who still... is he in Glorious Bastards? Oh, Winston Churchill. Oh wow! Holy oh, shit! I had no that's idea. Cool. That is cool. I didn't know that. Is that his, that's his last acting credit? What a one to go. Mm. Good one to go out on. Good. Yeah, really. I was just talking about that movie today. My wife's never seen it. We were discussing uh, a draft class and talking about other ideas on what to do. And she was like, "Well, if you have get a guest person to come on and do Tarantino movies, then." Five of you have to pick two, and that makes a real scramble. And I said, ooh, that's a good idea. I think your wife is on to something. Yeah. Because the good thing about a Tarantino draft is, especially if you have five people, 
there's such a variety of, of twosomes. Right. It's very hard right. to stack the deck in anyone's favor. And I have no idea how you guys would rank Tarantino. It's Just tough. like you like you have no idea how I would. So that that's why it's a good option. Yeah. I might have let it slip uh, throughout the years over and over and over again about how I draft it. It hasn't changed. In... Oh, I know what Frankie's number one pick would be. Oh, that. yeah. Instant. Oh, see, I, don't, I don't know if we had. No, it's not coming to me. I don't think we've ever talked Tarantino like that. It's not one that most people pick. Nope, I'll tell you what it is. You want me to tell you what it is so that what you can it? just take it? It's Jackie Brown. Maybe we have talked about it. I, take it back. <laughs> I love Jackie Brown. So someone just has to take Jackie Brown, and then Frankie's ruined. But yeah. anyway, oh, back to it. the Twilight Zone. <laughs> that's, so for a different, that's for the Draft Class podcast. Tune in. That's a so good Captain... tease. <laughs> so Clegg is, uh, get, goes home, makes a bunch of agitated phone calls, and then uh, his girl, Amy, walks in, and... She has a Amy. very odd good gorilla. <laughs> Amy, good gorilla. I almost did it, and I'm not even a Congo fan. Do you see what's <laughs> happening to us? Congo strikes again. It's getting into my blood. I'm now, comp- I'm now quoting Congo. Oh God. You're she did walk. Like, she walked like a good gorilla, and then uh... she had the most bizarre contorted posture I've ever seen. It looked like her shoulders were trying to outrun her head. If that makes any sense. Oh, here's a funny thing. She's very easygoing about his. Like we don't know much about him, but we're, she seems very easygoing about his philandering. Because she lets slip. She's like, I checked all the bars and all the motels. Like motels. This is a place you commonly find yeah. a man in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's up to no good. That Clegg. Oh yeah, well he was trying to he was trying, he was to, trying pull to pull an Eiffel Tower. Ta- he was trying to pull what is an Eiffel Tower with that poor bar girl. Eiffel <laughs> Tower. He was close. Did you see? He had the hand on the on the back. They were getting yeah. they were snuggling up. Yeah. Yeah, he was getting to some creepy stuff uh, soon. Yeah, and, and the yeah, nurse right. implied that she knew him rather well. Yeah, point. right. He he gets around. And uh, and she's like, oh, I checked the motels. I was worried about you. It's just like, like, what was she going to say when she found a motel? Oh, thank God. I thought it's something like, had oh, happened to you. Cleggy, this again. Yeah. Oh, that Clegg. Oh, that Clegg. Oh, Clegg. What a strange name. Is that short for Did something? Did you guys see that? Cleggert? <laughs> Clegbert. Clegg be yeah. short for? I'm, I'm, I'm Clegbert B. Forbes. I'm Clegginson. Clegghorn? I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. What is the name Clegg short for? Yeah, let's look this up. Stop the show. We need to know this right now. I can edit this out later. This is important. It's just Clegg. So the people just been just just naming their kids Clegg willy nilly back in wow. those days, huh? It's a Scottish name. That makes oh, sense. Oh, okay. Uh, Clegg. There we go. Ugh, Clegg. My mule wouldn't walk in the mud, so I had to put seventeen bolts in him. Groundskeeper Clegg. Did you guys see the name of the experimental space plane? X-20? X-20 Dinosaur. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't catch what... Is that a reference to anything? I have no idea. (laughs) So, uh, Clegg uh, runs out and jumps off his balcony after yelling at his girlfriend that, uh, that, I know a Harrington, goddammit, and nobody else does. Like, he wrote her a note saying me and Harrington are go up to get some tail. Yeah. Don't wait up for me. And then <laughs> I'll she's check like, the motels, he's like, I'm going to get some tail. <laughs> and then she doesn't believe him. So he jumps off his balcony and then Hulk's and then Hulk smashes his way back into the bar to look for Harrington that is now closed. 
Yeah. Uh, then collapses, and then we go back to the present where he's with his old pin cushion uh. dirt, uh, <laughs> saying, I think I'm going to be disappearing next. And he runs what off, as he's want about? to do in this episode. This whole episode is just having Rod Taylor run, run out shrieking in a different location. He runs out shrieking in, like, five locations yeah. in this episode. They they, so, they give him the uh, the duo in the bar. It's like he runs out of the bar screaming, but then he runs out of the phone booth in the bar screaming. It's like they just kind of started putting him in things. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, all right, now go, go get in this closet and run we out We need of him to run out of something. <laughs> we need him to run back into the bar. This time he breaks through the door. <laughs> then he runs out of the hospital room. And this is the and last time he runs out of anywhere because he, yeah. he is then he is then blipped out of existence. And Gerd is left pondering this, and then we cut to the next day where the hospital room he was staying is now empty. And the X-20 ship no longer exists. Erased mm. from existence. Yeah, so... Essentially, time came in and said, Scram, McFly, cutting in, and started yeah. wiping out everybody. <laughs> and But poor George just couldn't get the courage to kiss Lorraine in this time. Then once and then uh, Rod Serling shows up and tells you, once upon a time, there was a man named Harrington. A man named Forbes, a man named Gart. They used to exist, but don't any longer. Someone or something took them somewhere. At least they are no longer a part of the memory of man. And as to the X-20 supposed to be housed here in this hangar, this too does not exist. And if any of you have any questions concerning an aircraft and three men who flew her, speak softly of them, and only in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, I like that they never tell you what happened to them. No, yeah, this it's is just kind of like, see ya. This, yeah, this is just about the fear of the unknown. That's yeah. what this episode's about. Uh, again, hearkening back to the very first episode where it was all about the anxieties around the space race. Yeah, and based on uh, uh, Richard Matheson's short story. Yes, and this is a name that's going to come up a lot either in just this show or elsewhere because, as we're about to learn, Matheson is a bit of a fucking giant when it comes to TV writing. Yeah. Can I give you guys the lead in to Matheson? Oh, yes. sure. Go nuts, dude. So this is when they're prepping for the show. Sterling wanted to find new talent to help them write. He was contractually obligated to write 80% of the scripts. So he opened up the show for unsolicited writers. Here's what he said happened after he did that. This is Sterling. I got 14,000 manuscripts in the first five days. Of those 14,000, I and members of my staff read about 500 498 of those 500 were absolute trash. Hand-scrawled, laboriously written, therapeutic pieces of writing from sick people. Of the two remaining scripts, both of professional quality, neither fitted the show. So they held a screening of the pilot, and established writers were invited. Two of the writers who came, Charles Beaumont and Richard Matheson. So that's how they linked up. Wow. A uh, huge influence on Stephen King. This is what Stephen King oh, yeah. said about Richard Matheson. Oh. Quote, he was the first guy who seemed to be doing something that Lovecraft wasn't doing. It wasn't Eastern Europe. The horror could be in the 7-Eleven store down the block, or it could be just up the street. Something terrible could be going on in a GI Bill-type ranch development near a college. It could be there as well. And to me, as a kid, that was a revelation. That was extremely exciting. 
He was putting horror in the places I could relate to. I mean, that's like the light goes off in Stephen King's head, like, oh, fuck. Put the horror in things that people can feel and they can, you know, it's like in their lives. And that's Stephen King. That's what he that's why he's the king. Yeah, he was heavily influenced by Matheson. When Matheson died, he came out and like wrote a whole like almost like like a tribute to him. Dude, can I just list off some of his credits? Yeah. Dude, in 1954, he writes, I am legend, one of the most influential science fiction stories ever. Been, it's been made into a film three times at last count, ripped off God knows how many more times. The second version of uh, The Omega Man with uh, Charlton Heston is my particular favorite, if anybody's asking, and nobody is. Uh, <laughs> he wrote uh, some of my favorite films uh, for Roger Corman and AIP, where he did a lot. He he wrote the scripts for the Poe films, that Poe cycle, Edgar Allan Poe cycle of films that uh, Roger Corman made at uh, AIP, American International Pictures. Uh, wrote the book for The Incredible Shrinking Man. Uh, uh, wrote the book Hell House, which became the legend of Hell House. Excellent movie. Uh, wrote the book that Somewhere in Time was based on. Uh, A Stir of Echoes. Uh, he wrote the book Steel, which became the book, the movie Real Steel. <laughs> Oh, dude, and uh, I, do we even talk about the episodes he's written that are so amazing? Oh, and let's go into his TV writing, his TV movie writing, which is of particular interest to me. Wrote The Night Stalker, Kolchak The Night Stalker, another yeah. one of those hugely influential TV movies. So, dude, the 70s, I think I brought this up on this show or the other show, 70s TV horror movies are amazing. It's something to deep dive into. A lot of them are on YouTube, and a lot of them are written by Richard Matheson, at least the ones that you should be bothering with. Uh, Dead of Night, another great, uh, another great film. Uh, Trilogy of Terror is another one that people always talk about. Uh, and, of course, well, if you've been listening to our Spielberg draft uh, over at our Draft Class podcast, you'd know that he also wrote the script for Duel. Steven Spielberg's first uh, feature film job, or one of his first feature film jobs. So it's the one that put him on the map. I always I, I keep using this term when I talk about Twilight Zone writers, but it seems to fit. He was a machine. Yeah, you want to hear uh, what Stephen King had to say about him when he died? Yeah. His tribute to Richard Matheson. He said, uh, We've lost one of the giants of the fantasy and horror genres. From the beardless warriors, his brilliant and largely unread World War II novel, to the incredible shrinking man and all the wonderful Twilight Zone scripts and stories. Matheson fired the imagination of three generations of writers. Without his I Am Legend, there would have been no Night of the Living Dead. Without of Night of the Living Dead, there would have been no Walking Dead, 28 Days Later, or World War Z. Matheson wrote the script for Steven Spielberg's extraordinary film Duel and created one of the most brain-freezingly frightening haunted house novels of the 20th century in Hell House. He fired my imagination by placing his horrors not in European castles or Lovecraftian universes, but in American scenes I knew and could relate to. I want to do that, I thought. I must do that. Matheson showed the way. In addition to that, he was a gentleman who was always willing to give a young writer a hand up. I will miss his kindness and your addition. He lived a full life, raised a fine family, and gave us unforgettable stories, novels, TV shows, and movies. That's good. Nevertheless... I mourn his loss. A uniquely American voice has been silenced. Stephen King. It's really hard to 
even quantify how big an impact that man had on right. popular culture. Yeah. Just one of those things is enough. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's mm -hmm. got dozens. It's crazy. And we didn't even like list his upcoming episodes of Twilight Zone, which are bangers uh, that most people know. Like when they like even just casual fans of the show will go, right. Oh, that one? His name's attached to easily. Could his name alone could be easily attached to the Mount Rushmore of Twilight Zone episodes. I mean, Mount Rushmore of just of twentieth century writers. I mean, really, yeah. you can almost put him on that list. I mean, you yeah. probably could think it could an argument can be made. He said, uh, this is Matheson. Chuck and I pitched ideas and then started writing scripts. For a long time, it was just the two of us and Rod. Can you imagine being in that writer's room with those three guys? Oh, that's a lot of mind in that room. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think my head would explode. <laughs> yeah. Well, you definitely would have a headache of some sort from all the smoke that would probably be pouring out of that room. <laughs> It'd be like Charlie in the mailroom. <laughs> Barney, can you get my friend a cigarette? Barney, who's Barney? <laughs> this is a notable episode just for that fact alone. It's an episode good. I mean, it was, you know what it was for me? The previous four episodes were so good mm -hmm. that there just, there had to be a drop of some kind. Like if this was episode two or three, I probably would have liked it more. But it was coming off such a, we were on such a streak. Yeah, yeah we had all timers. We just went, went past. It's a neat yeah, yeah. concept. I don't know how you make it better. I just think it's yeah, it's neat. I I, I think mm -hmm. maybe the structure shouldn't have been so reliant on having Rod Taylor run shrieking out of rooms. I mean, they could have varied that up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Like when you look at the the star ranking on IMDb for this episode, the only episode so far that we've watched that ranks higher than it is Time Enough at Last. This episode. Yeah, which I think is strange. That is strange. You know, it has walking distance under it, which I don't think that belongs there. Even perchance to dream, <laughs> you know. <laughs> My beloved for different perchance for different for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean I would. This is towards the bottom for me, and it's not even a bad episode. We just these first eleven ten episodes. There's so much good stuff. It's like yeah, just it's just hard to compare. I don't know. I, 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 I'm struggling with this one because I should have enjoyed it more. Yes. I think this one was more reliant on the mystery and plot, whereas the other ones we really responded to are much more character driven. It's much right. more you're in the person's mindset, but this is more about there's a mystery and we're trying to untangle the mystery. Right, right, right. Right. The drama isn't personal. It's situational. It's just like he's anybody. Right. This could have been literally anybody. They just happen to be military men. They just I'm going to be blipped out of existence. And uh, some, but it, yeah, it doesn't go into any personal implications of that. It just keeps giving us more questions. It's a little lostish. It's it's a little mystery boxy. Yes. Which is neat. I mean, I, I I like that it's kept vague. I guess that like what it is. It's just about the fear of the unknown. I mean, it's just basic technophobia. It really doesn't have any substance behind it. It's just like, what if you go into space and then you come back and disappear? It's like, oh, that would <laughs> suck, I guess. <laughs> you yeah, don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> the the moments when the, the guys realize, oh, they're about to fade out or disappear, we find that out because they just kind of know. And they right. run away screaming. There's a lot of tell. Don't. They run away screaming. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of show, don't tell. It's just, they're just, oh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling <laughs> the, the loss of yeah. existence. Right. Watch out. 
like there's a scene where I I, I had to rewind this because I thought like maybe I missed something when uh, Clegg is disappearing. It, it takes place in front of a mirror. So I rewatched it. I'm like, oh, is he not in a mirror? They but he fucked is in a up. That, that turns out that's a fuck up. That's a legitimate right, so fuck up. If, oh, really? Right. So that was. Yes. Yeah. No, like they like, said, like it was just they framed it slightly wrong and it wasn't caught at, at the time of shooting. So they had to eat it because I was going through the same fucking thing as you. I'm just like, oh, he's not in the mirror, but he's right. clearly in the mirror. He's in the mirror. Right. Then right. I saw his hand and I said, oh, wait, he is there. What happened? <laughs> and yeah. So I was just I was like sitting there process. I guess I'm not supposed to take anything away from that and then he goes oh jesus and he runs out the room this <laughs> is like what startled him in the mirror it's just like oh, i sure am sweaty <laughs> he was like taut when he got the burning metal and he had to go put it out in the snow just screeching <laughs> yeah <laughs> at the first provocation he was a gibbering idiot but like he's just like what's going on here <laughs> Like he was just freaking out. It's just like Harrington, where'd you go? Harrington, just like immediately, just like come down. <laughs> did you check the bed? Did you even check the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here, Avery? <laughs> stop, stop looking like he's gonna shoulder check me and listen. Maybe that's why Amy's constantly checking motels. This guy just loses his mind and just camps don't. out in different places. Like, yeah. The way she was, uh, sta- I don't know if it was the way again. she was. <laughs> see if he ran away. She... Let's see where he ran off to this time. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd find you gibbering, like a j- <laughs> gibbering at a motel, but you're just gibbering at home. She had the most aggressive shoulder pads I've ever seen on anything. Those were shoulder gauntlets. They weren't even a fucking pad. I don't know if they were to protect her or whoever might come into contact. She with was her. like, what? She looked like an animal from the Legion of the Doom. <laughs> What a rush! <laughs> so she went the door open, just said, <laughs> "What a rush!" <laughs> if I find you in another motel with another lady <laughs> this Saturday, we're gonna settle things. <laughs> Tell him, Hawk. <laughs> Clank just runs out screaming. <laughs> then Shawn Michaels runs in and gives him sweet chin music. Ah, oh, now we're talking. Remember when uh, Shawn Michaels threw Janetti through the barbershop oh, window? Oh, do I? Oh. That was like an all timer for me. Oh yeah, that's like that's like the big heel turn. That's like one of the biggest heel turns ever. You oh yeah, that's seeing like, that coming. I, I mean, man. it's like my parents getting divorced and then that. It's like neck and neck. For, <laughs> oh my god, what is happening? Nothing's going to be the same now. My world is see- shattering. <laughs> Did you ever see uh, while we're talking about people getting put through windows in wrestling? Did you ever see when? Shane O'Mac, I think it was Mark Henry trying to put him through, or was it, uh, no, it wasn't Mark Kurt Henry. Angle. It was, it was Kurt Angle trying to put him through the glass, but it wasn't, they, it wasn't breakaway glass. Yeah, it was just, so, was just slamming him into plexiglass. <laughs> as hard as he can until it eventually broke, but guess what else broke? Poor Shane O'Mac's dome. <laughs> Everything. Oh. 
He was German suplexing him, just flipping him over his head. Yeah. It's into like... this fucking just in, against the wall until the wall gave out. Ugh. Yeah, that was awesome. That was when wrestling hmm. was great. Yeah. Uh, listen, we had a good run of great episodes, interesting episodes. That's not over I... yet either. I mean, there's still no, plenty. No, of, uh... no, no. No, it's just know... that was a run. Yeah, because yeah. even last week's where it, we were all a little I was a little iffy on last week's. I think we all were. But that ending where they start they start blowtorching that poor woman. No, oh, that scene that scene was set, great. Yeah, really great. They set that poor woman on fire and there's just there's nazis and it yeah. oh, was fun. Well, we had the lonely time enough at last per chance a dream. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I got another Matheson quote. Mm. This is Matheson. To me, fantasy at its best consists of putting in one drop of fantasy into a mixture which is otherwise completely factual or realistic. And once that drop of fantasy has been put into the mixture, I try to forget that I am writing a fantasy and write as realistic a story as I can, recalling, of course, that the springboard has been some offbeat concept. Hmm. I mean, we talk about this all the time. The stuff we really gravitate to with, when we're doing these all-time films with these drafts, if you ground it in some kind of reality that we can latch onto. Yeah, it gives you so much more room to build that fantastical element because then you can combine those two, and that's what makes the the movie or the show really special. So he seemed to understand that on like a real fundamental level. Mm. And then what happens? Stephen King latches onto that, and he becomes well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, going time. back, going back to Duel again. Watch Draft Class. Uh, listen, listen to Draft Class wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Getting back to Duel, it's as mundane as it gets. It's a guy just driving down a desert highway and something, and the sight you see often on highways, a truck is the antagonist. And just from those two basic elements, he's able to make one of the best suspense stories, essentially a monster movie with a thing you see that is very commonplace. Simplicity. Yes. And then every time people are driving, you know, they're a little extra paranoid. About what's going on in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And the incredible shrinking man. It's like, what if it was just a guy, but he was tiny? <laughs> uh, the, the incredible shrinking man uh, is actually amazing. Uh, filled with like a lot of... It's one of the smarter science fiction, 50 science fiction films. Like filled with a lot of like metaphysical and philosophical musings throughout the film. That's how it fills its time. It's just like, what does this mean? Not just like, oh shit, I'm tiny and ants could kill me, but like, what does this mean? The unbelievably small and the unbelievably vast eventually meet like the closing of a gigantic circle. I looked up as if somehow I would grasp the heavens, the universe, worlds beyond number. God's silver tapestry spread across the night. And in that moment, I knew the answer to the riddle of the infinite. I had thought in terms of man's own limited dimension. I had presumed upon nature that existence begins and ends is man's conception, not nature's. And I felt my body dwindling, melting, becoming nothing. My fears melted away, and in their place came acceptance. All this vast majesty of creation, it had to mean something. And then I meant something too. Yes, smaller than the smallest. I meant something too. To God, there is no zero. I still exist. Pretty heavy stuff. Matheson write Jaws 3D. Did he? I have that in a, in a note here. <laughs> I don't know if I... 
hallucinated huh. and just jotted that down in a fever dream, but it's in my note. Jaws 3D. <laughs> we, we need our crack staff to make sure that's real. Oh my God, <laughs> just, it is. Just, hold on a second. Since I, I'm actually glad you brought this up because this is something I wanted to go here. This is something I wanted to talk about in the, uh, in the Spielberg draft, but just didn't get around to it. Do you ever hear the original pitch for Jaws 3? Called no. Jaws Three People Zero. What do you mean? Okay, so oh, you that's have great. it. Yeah, so let me just see if I could uh, if my internet would work. By the way, one of my friends was like apoplectic that Saving Private Ryan was not taken in the first two rounds. Oh man, listen, my he was like, one. I don't understand. I need answers. <laughs> How is it still available? Hell I was yeah. listening yeah. to with my wife this morning. She's like, How did Jurassic Park make it to round two? I said, I don't know. I was Doesn't make any sense. There's because a bunch I'm, of those, yeah. I'm a weirdo. I haven't seen a lot of good movies. <laughs> okay, Harvey Firestein. <laughs> it's bad, I know. I'm sorry. I gotta call my mother. I gotta call my lawyer. Oh, forget my lawyer. Independence Day, folks. So, okay. Oh, so I, this found, is... I found, yeah, I found it too. Go ahead. So the original pitch for Jaws 3 was just like, we've run out of steam in terms of making this a serious film. So let's just make it an airplane style spoof. So fucking David Brown and Richard Zanuck, like mega producer Richard yeah, Zanuck, sorry. and collaborated with Maddie Simmons, you know, the guy who ran the National Lampoon movies, who produced yeah. all the National Lampoon movies, and brought on John Hughes to write this, this third Jaws movie, which would be a glorified spoof. And our boy... Joe Dante was pursued as director. Director. Because he had made uh, previously Piranha, which is essentially a spoof of Jaws. What year is this, roughly? This is uh, this was during the development time. So whenever Jaws 3 was being developed. When did Jaws 3 come out? I don't have that in front of me. 83. Yeah. Sure. So... So the movie in term and this is how the script opens is that Peter Benchley, the guy who wrote the book Jaws, gets eaten in his pool by a shark. That's not where sharks go. Uh, and a big part of the script called for Steven Spielberg to act as himself. Oh, uh, oh then there was a. <laughs> these are terrible jokes. It's terrible. Every, as I'm reading these things, they're just the worst jokes I've ever heard. Like, oh, here, check this out. There was a tougher-as-nails marine bi biologist named Pierre Cockatoo. Because it's like Jacques <laughs> Cousteau and he's French. I bet his accent would have been really funny if this movie had seen the light of day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, they, dude, the, when they cut open the jaws of stomach, <laughs> they, they, uh, a violin comes out, a coat, and weed. Who wrote this? John, why aren't you laughing? <laughs> well, I am laughing. <laughs> uh, I believe the script is available, like online. Like you could find oh, I'm this, script. this script. Yeah, I mean, wow. Maddie Simmons, John Hughes, just writing the worst thing ever. With, they would have. Uh, it Captain says it would have re They would have recreated with, uh, Richard the... Tutan Zanuck fucking at the helm. They were. They wanted to recreate the bonfire beach party scene. From the beginning of Jaws, the first shark attack, except that instead of teens, the party goers were replaced with Hollywood executives. You understand what kind of movie they're trying to make here? Oh, 
There's some satire. I smell satire. I really. I, I gotta find this script. Yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's around. Or, if we or find it, a lot of material could we is around. Can we it? act it out? That's what I'm just. <gasps> oh oh my god! Live reading. We've got Bush. I mean, they they gotta let us do that, right? Even if they don't. Oh, what yeah. do you mean? We'll do it as a live stream. I mean, it's, it's okay. They ain't doing nothing with it. Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Dude, that would be the greatest thing ever. Our, our, uh, it, 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 listen, check us out at Zoning Out at Zoning Out Pod over on Twitter, and you let us know. Do you want us to do a Jaws three people zero uh, reenactment? Or just a stage reading, a, a a live read of it, because I'm really into this. I'm Does it exist? Guess. Does this exist? Jaws three. Are you finding the script? We're all looking now. I got yeah, it. You got the script. Yep. It's 136 pages. Oh my god, that's so. Oh, oh that's glorious. Exterior, you know, luxurious oceanfront home, night, limousines. Six or seven large black limos are parked in front of an expensive Malibu home. Chauffeurs are standing by the cars, some chatting with one another. Cameron moves around the house down to its private beach. Cut to six or seven very old, very wealthy movie moguls. Oh, we're getting right to the action. Okay, wait, who's credited to the script, does it say? Um, let's see. Original story by Maddie Simmons. Second revised final draft written by John Hughes and Todd Carroll. Dude, this is insane. This is incredible. 136 like just... pages. Well, that's how you know John Hughes was in, uh, around. Because if you listen to our Thanksgiving draft, we're not giving anything away because someone still has to draft a little piece of that. <laughs> there may have been a long John Hughes movie discussion. Very long. Yeah, now we're 36 pages. Now you you factor in maybe if you if you place that a minute per page, that's a two hour and. Uh, 16 minute airplane style spoof movie. Cause oh my god, that's oof. well. Okay, I'm sure stuff would have been cut before production, but yeesh. Yeah, this right, got this got just... far. Like this got far <laughs> into development. Like this that wasn't like a crazy. Like they weren't just uh, bumping line. They weren't just doing rails off a hooker's tit and fucking just <laughs> just shooting the breeze over this. This like made it. Very close to going into production. I can't believe this is real. Yeah, me neither, man. Oh, this, this is. I crazy. feel like we just found the crazy. Holy shit! I don't because I. It was funny when we were doing the, the Spielberg draft, and we got into a whole Jaws discussion. I had it in my notes to bring up, but I just said, you know what? This will be a very big topic of discussion if I bring it up here. So I said, and this, you know, those episodes are pretty long to begin with. So I said, you know what? Let's hold it off. And then you brought it up, and I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so happy we found this. Oh, yeah. This could be a thing. Like, I, I'm going to greedily read it tonight. Yeah, please send that out. Because there's so many How is it 136 jokes. pages? Because it's, I mean, dude, there's no cap on brilliance. Well, that's it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Twilight Zone 3, audience zero. <laughs> Zoning out three, audience zero. Stop eating my sesame cake. Well, next time the Twilight Zone gives you its own peculiar oddball brand of gift giving.
Mr. Steve Cochran and Mr. Ernest Truex combine talents to tell a story about a little man who has what you need. Our next offering on The Twilight Zone. <laughs> 